Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. We've got 90 minutes of information we need to pass along to you. want you to be able to give us that 90 minutes today. Our broadcast partners are standing by with information essential to our understanding of the prophetic scenario that's found in Bible prophecy. Still in Fruitland Park, Florida, we had a great time of study of God's prophetic word with the church here for the last couple of days great time of teaching and understanding because we're living in the time when it seems like all of these prophecies are quickly moving to total fulfillment. In just a moment, Ken Timmerman is going to join me, and I was telling him it seems like deja vu. We've done this twice this week. I was asked by the Stand in the Gap Today host to guest host the broadcast on Thursday, And when I had that assignment, I went right to Ken Timmerman. We talked about geopolitical activities with a focus on the Middle East because when I come as a guest and a so-called expert on the Middle East to the broadcast every other Wednesday, that's what I focus on. So we did it, and Ken did an excellent job. You might want to go to their website, Stand in the Gap dot com and listen to the archives of the program we did on Thursday. It was a great program. Ken was marvelous as he always is helping us to look. We looked at number one Syria and the civil war, then we looked at the situation in Iran, also in Iraq, how it's trying to rebuild a war torn nation. And then Ken, who has been on the ground in northern Iraq, where a lot of Christian persecution is taking place, he talked to us about that. Go to standinthegap.com, our American Pastors Network, and you'll find the archives of the Thursday broadcast when Ken was my special guest. Now, double duty this week, Ken, because I want you to respond to some of the geopolitical activities happening around this world as well. And let me start with this one. There's a report out of Moscow that they are pushing Israel to help speed up the exit from Syria by the United States. What do we know about that? Well, a lot of things are happening on this front and has been developing steadily in recent weeks, but uh, this past week has been very busy. Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, of course, is facing a re-election campaign in April, snap elections, and everybody is trying to assert themselves in the run-up to those elections. The Russians sent two emissaries to Jerusalem this week to meet with the prime minister, and their message from Putin was that they wanted him to put pressure on the United States to abandon the U.S. Marines' base in Al-Tanif. This is a very key area in Syria because it is right at that point where the Iraq, Syrian, and Jordanian border come together in southeastern Syria, and this is the transit line for Iran's land corridor to Lebanon and the Israeli border. So the Russians are basically carrying water for the Iranians, saying to Israel, help us get the Americans out of that Tanif air base so the Iranians can then take over. i got to tell you, though, Jimmy, uh, I think Mr. Netanyahu was not terribly sympathetic to that message, and I seriously doubt that he's going to be putting any pressure on the United States to get out of suit. I think that's a good bet, Ken. I would agree with you. Netanyahu was pretty much upset when he heard the news that President Trump was announcing the exit of the U.S. troops there in Syria. But what's ironic 
Israel in that same meeting with the prime minister meeting with those Russian envoys there in Jerusalem wanted Russia to push Iran out of Syria and their response was such that they didn't even want to talk about that. And there's an expert in Israel that's making the statement, Russia will not be able to push Iran out. You think that's the case? Is Iran there to stay? Well, I think Iran may be there to stay. But just for a second, getting back to this interchange between Netanyahu and the Russians, uh, the Israelis have been asking the Russians for over a year to get Iran, to push Iranian forces 80 to 100 kilometers away from Israel's border, and the Russians have promised and promised and done nothing. Uh, So the fact that the Russians cannot deliver on that one crucial Israeli demand, that is really the one thing that the Israelis have constantly been asking the Russians to do, that also like the Russians to, to weigh in and stop Iranian arms shipments through Syria and to Hezbollah. But, you know, that's something that the Israelis can do themselves. They don't need Moscow for that. They need Moscow to get the Iranians to back off from the border, and Russia cannot deliver that. So that is really a key and new weakness of the Russians. They do not have the power over their own ally, Iran, to get them to back away from the border and to stop doing things like launching missiles into Israel from areas that were supposed to have been cleared of Iranian uh, influence. That's what happened uh, just about 10 days ago when they launched a missile from a base near the Damascus airport into the Golan Heights, the Israelis responded. So this is a big development. Russia does not have the power they claim to have to get Iran to back off from the Israeli border in Syria. And because of that inactivity by Russia, I keep hearing in the media there in Israel the term World War III threat. And in fact, it's followed by Iran vowing to attack Israel uh, with missiles. They've already, and you alluded to that for the last week or so, that's been going on. But now a, a serious attack of Israel with these missiles. So that is somewhat of a World War III threat. Well, yes, and I think the tensions are really building for escalating conflict, military conflict between Israel and Iran uh, in Syria, but also with Hamas and with Hezbollah in Lebanon, that three-front war that uh, the Iranians boast will crush Israel. And, of course, the Israelis say, we know how to handle it. We're confident of our military capabilities. Everybody is looking at this April date for the elections. And so you have Hamas... Uh, bulldozing areas near the Gaza border with Israel so they'll be able to stage mass demonstrations and and flood over the border into Israel and overwhelm Israeli border guards. You have Hezbollah saying that they are going to potentially launch missile strikes. You had the Hezbollah Secretary General Nasrallah this week in an interview, uh, one of the rare TV interviews that he gives because he does not like to appear publicly for fear of being assassinated. He boasted that the Israelis while they had, yes, uh, destroyed a couple of the tunnels that Hezbollah had underneath the border. He said, those were old tunnels. It took them 13 years to find them. We've got many more. And, oh, by the way, our war plan with Israel does include taking parts of the Galilee. So all of this is heating up, and I expect, Jimmy, that this is going to get hotter as we get closer to the April elections in Israel. And you know, when you listen to the U.S. intelligence community, they seem to say the exact same thing, that Iran could soon attack Israel. Now, this would not be a nuclear attack, but more of a conventional type of warfare. 
that's a very viable possibility, isn't it? Yeah, here's a headline that was completely neglected by the U.S. media, and it's, and it's important that we speak about it here on these airwaves because our listeners need to understand what actually happened at that threats briefing uh, in Congress earlier this week. The Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coats, was talking about projecting what could happen between Israel and Iran in Syria. And rather than saying that, oh, well, Iran is not going to do anything, Iran is keeping to its nuclear agreements and all the other stuff that got the attention of the media that wanted to pretend that Iran is not a threat, Coates said verbatim, he said, Iran continues to pursue permanent military bases and economic deals in Syria and probably wants to maintain a network of Shia fighting foreign fighters there despite Israeli attacks. And because of that, the likelihood of a conflict between Iran and Israel is increasing. So that could be a viable possibility in the near future, a conventional type of warfare. Well, talk to me about this headline coming out. Iran is preparing for a major role in reconstructing Assad's Syria. I mean, there's been some war going on, civil war for eight years, hundreds and thousands of people killed. Now they're getting ready to go back in and reconstruct Syria for Bashar Assad, the president, see if they can put everything back in place. That seems to say to me that Iran wants a permanent residency there in Syria, but do they really have the money to reconstruct Syria at this time? And does Syria have the money to pay for it themselves? Uh, no, those are those are good questions, but you're right. I think the bottom line uh, is not the reconstruction piece of this. The bottom line is what you just said. The Iranians want to have a permanent foothold in Syria. They want to establish permanent bases there. They want to have this land bridge opened uh, permanently. That's why they are doing their very best to get the Russians to carry water for them, to dismantle the U.S. base in Tanif, and all the rest of this stuff is a smokescreen. The real goal is Iran wants to be militarily, politically, uh, economically present in Syria to up the pressure on Israel. Let's remind everybody what that land bridge you were talking about is. It comes out of Iran, goes across Iraq, Syria, and even into Lebanon over to the Mediterranean, putting Iran right on top of Israel and ready to come south to wipe them out. That's right. And they first demonstrated that capability in December of 2017, when an Iranian-backed Shiite leader from Iraq showed up on the Israeli border with a TV crew, <laughs> a, 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 you know, a Hezbollah TV crew, and, and boastfully gave this interview looking down over Israeli settlements in the Golan Heights for the first time. He was there in military camouflage. He had come in a truck convoy, so they had opened this land corridor, and that's what the Iranians want to maintain. The obstacles are Israel and the United States. And so their goal right now is to drive the U.S. out of Syria, to close down that kind of air base, and to up the price for Israel in its attacks on the Iranian presence in Syria. My dear friends, we should be thrilled that we have Ken Timmerman available to talk to us, interact with us, giving us the details behind the headlines. Ken has walked the ground of almost every place we're talking about at some time in his life as a journalist across this world. Ken, thank you so very much. Great reports on Stand in the Gap on Thursday, but great reports today as well. Thank you. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to David Dolan. He has a Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today.
How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? Hi, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with VCY America, I'm excited to announce our upcoming trip March 13th through the 22nd, 2019. Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We're going to look at Israel past, present, and future. The Bible will come alive as you see places such as the shepherd's fields, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not only to visit the site, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today, 423-821-3635, to find out more about our VCY America Prophecy Today Israel trip, March 13th through the 22nd. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Temporary Studios here in Fruitland Park, Florida. Well, David Dolan, as promised, comes to this broadcast table now to give us his Middle East news update. David, let me start with this. The United States intelligence community is making a statement that Iran could attack Israel very soon. It would be a conventional type war, not a nuclear war. What do you know about this and how are the Israelis reacting? Well, Jimmy, of course, I've been talking about that with you for some months now. The Signs of that are everywhere, including the statements continuing to come out from Iran. We had some more this week, in particular from the close aide to Ayatollah Khamenei, Ali Shamkani, saying that precision-guided missiles have been supplied to the Gaza Strip. Now, we knew that already. The Israeli intelligence knew that, but that's the first time Iran confirmed that they're actually supplying those very deadly, precise weapons to the Palestinians, along with, of course, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and the chances of war are very, very strong. Israel had major military uh, war games again this week up along the northern border. They had some sea exercises as well. We had the speech just after you and I spoke last week by Hassan Nasrallah, the Hezbollah chief, saying that Israel should not commit any foolish actions by attacking these precision-guided factories in and around Beirut, as Prime Minister Netanyahu was warned would occur if they didn't stop producing those weapons there. They've said, Nasrallah said, that he wouldn't stop producing them. Meanwhile, he's come out on top in the formation of the new Lebanese government that was announced on Friday with the majority of the cabinet ministers under his sway. So Nasrallah very deeply entrenched there. 
And, of course, we have ongoing conflicts in Syria and the other things. So the security chiefs are just really saying the obvious, that the chances of war are very real, very grave. And they're talking about a conventional attack. But, of course, the Israelis, as I've said for several years now, are concerned that possibly the Iranians did acquire some nuclear-tipped weapons from either the former Soviet Union or from Pakistan or others on the black market. And who knows what could be involved, but we have... The threats, again from Nasrallah, again from Shamkhani, that uh, Tel Aviv would be hit in any war, that Ben Gurion Airport would be hit, all Israeli targets. In fact, Nasrallah said there wouldn't even be any graves to bury the dead in, that it would be so severe. So they're making statements of war all the time, and the security chiefs are just noting that. And we've had indications that the president's announced pullout from Syria of U.S. forces is being stalled, at least at the present time. The Israelis are on full alert, remain on full alert for any possibilities. couple of follow-up questions for you, David. First of all, about Nasrallah. He made this statement, and I just heard this this morning from an official, saying that those tunnels that they found coming under the Israeli border out of Lebanon, those were old tunnels, and finally Israel found them, but we've got new tunnels and that we are not going to do away with our plan to go into the Galilee. That would mean Hezbollah and the Galilee. Have you heard anything about that, and is that a viable possibility? Well, Jimmy, actually, Nasrallah's interview on uh, Hezbollah's TV went on for three hours, and one Israeli paper called it a harangue, and it really was. He made all sorts of anti-Israel statements and threats. But yes, he said, hey, we've had these tunnels way before the U.N. resolution saying we can't be down there, and the Israelis just hadn't discovered them. Well, Israeli intelligence has known for several years about them, actually more than that even, Jimmy. They didn't know the extent of them, and they still believe there's four or five that they haven't discovered. A new one was uncovered here recently. They've destroyed the others that they've uncovered. It just shows that Hezbollah has uh, plans to attack Israel, and Israel boasted not only that he would take the northern Galilee, but as you said, the Golan Heights, that they have an ability to take pretty much most of northern Israel. And he said it's not just through tunnels. He said we have air capabilities. That's a new one. We don't know much about that, but he's probably referring to the fact that I just mentioned that they now have basically taken over the Lebanese government and military. Well, the Lebanese military has, tada, U.S.-supported helicopters and gunships and other things like that that he apparently thinks he could commandeer. And, of course, they have a massive rocket force, and they have a pretty substantial ground force. And he pointed out they've been in combat these past few years in Syria. And an Israeli report was released recently, Jimmy, pointing that out as well and saying, hey, the Israeli army on the ground has not been fighting any actions apart from along the Gaza border fence a little bit here and there and sometimes in Judea and Samaria, etc., but nothing like Hezbollah fighters that have been in daily fierce combat for the last few years, meaning they are well and hardened battle trained. And he pointed that out. They are a very real threat to Israel, and Hamas on the ground with fighters isn't, but if they do have these Iranian-supplied GPSs making their uh, rockets precision-guided so they can hit the Knesset building precisely, or the Prime Minister's home even, or whatever target they choose, certainly Ben Gurion Airport, then that makes them a major force as well. So Iran wouldn't even have to directly get involved, but of course they probably would as well. 
And uh, as Prime Minister Netanyahu said a couple of weeks ago, and you pointed out that they might be facing a war in the north and the south simultaneously, and they have to prepare for that uh, possibility. And I would say now probability. Let me also follow up on your statements about Russia. There were two envoys from Russia in Jerusalem this week talking with the prime minister, and they told him they want Israel to help speed up the United States exit from out of Syria. What do we know? Well, yes, Jimmy, and apparently, according to Israeli press reports, particularly they focused on the U.S. Marine base that's just at a very strategic location. It's just north of the place where Syria, Iraq, and Jordan, the borders of all three of those countries, meet. That's in southeastern Syria. That's where the base is, and they want that immediately taken down. They want all American forces taken out of that base, the Al-Qaeda base it is. And they uh, said, uh, according to the press reports, that they wanted Netanyahu to pressure President Trump to get those forces out. Well, that is the main base standing in the way of tens of thousands of Iraqi Shiite militiamen that are ready to pour into Syria to join the war effort there and, of course, to join whatever happens against Israel. So presumably President Trump knows that. Certainly his military officials do. And uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said, well, look, I'm not the president of the United States, according to the reports, and I'm not, you know, in a position to force their hand. And, of course, Israel doesn't want to see that base abandoned either. They do want to see those forces stay there. But a very, very serious situation, Jimmy. And, again, it shows that through the deputy foreign minister, as you said, visiting Israel, meeting with Netanyahu, along with their special representative to Syria, that they intend to be the dominant power in the region. They want to get the U.S. as weak as they can, get them out as much as they can, certainly from the north, from Syria, and eventually from Iraq, and eventually from the whole area if they can. And that, of course, is very, very worrisome to Israel, to Jordan, and to other U.S. allies. But again, presumably President Trump is not about to do that, and we still have a major base in Qatar and other places that are not likely to be abandoned. David, I have my temporary studios here in Florida, and it's very interesting, the news coming out of Florida. The cabinet of the state of Florida voted to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's political capital. But also, in that statement, they said the undivided eternal capital. That sounds like it's one up on President Trump. and They don't want Jerusalem to be divided at all. That's good news for Israel, isn't it? Well, it is, Jimmy, and that was also stated by Benny Gantz, the former chief of staff until 2015, who made a major speech in Tel Aviv this week announcing his candidacy to be prime minister. And by the way, late opinion polls published Friday and Thursday show he has a pretty good chance of defeating Ibi Netanyahu as prime minister. He has a coalition partners and he joined forces with Moshe Yalon, who's the former defense minister. He resigned in 2005 over the Gaza pullout. He's pretty right-wing. Both of them are very strong nationalists and both with very strong military careers. But they both stated that uh, Jerusalem will remain united if we get into power. So there's no way that any Israeli leader from the center or the right, and even most of the left-wing leaders, uh, state that the Jerusalem is not going to be divided. They won't agree to any peace plan. In fact, Yalone earlier apologized for supporting the Oslo peace accords when they came out 
1993. He said a few years later that was a mistake. That was before he joined the Likud party. Benny Gantz is a centrist, but he's definitely strong on military forces. The problem that both of those men have, though, and their party could get about 24 seats, the polls show, they both come out in support of same-sex marriage and, more importantly, to the Orthodox parties for public transportation to be allowed in all Israeli cities and towns that want it on the Sabbath. Well, that's a non-starter for the religious parties. So the political climate heating up in Israel as the debate over Jerusalem continues, and we'll just see where that all goes. But a very dramatic scene inside of Israel and along its borders as well. We'll stay on top of that story with David Dolan, who covers the Middle East news for us. David, thank you for this Middle East news update. We appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy, and God bless. Stay safe. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll go back to Israel in our conversation. Winky Madad standing by to explain International Holocaust Remembrance Day. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Temporary Studios in Fruitland Park, Florida, near the location of the Villages, which is where all the snowbirds come and stay during the winter time. Some of them have even decided to stay here in Florida, sunny Florida, where it was only 50 degrees today. <laughs> but anyway, it is a warm part of the world compared to other locations like Chicago, for example. So we can praise the Lord. We're in some warm weather down here in Florida. But right now, I want to bring a broadcast partner to the broadcast table, Winky Madad, longtime friend and great broadcast partner, is going to join me, and then we'll have after him Itamar Marcus. We want to talk about the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Now, that's something that was put in place by the United Nations, and Winky, let me find out from you why the United Nations did this? It seems like so many of their resolutions are against the Jewish state of Israel. Why did they decide to remember Holocaust Day and try to get the world to do exactly that? And is that different than what you do there in Israel? Well, Jimmy, thank you for having me on again. I'm going to make an educated guess. The normal Holocaust Day activities among the Jewish people, of course, is centered on a date on which the Warsaw Ghetto Revolt broke out in late April of 1943. 
and they managed to stave off the Nazi German troops, in some cases for up to three weeks. You have to remember, Jimmy, and our audience, that the Jews were not exactly a people with their own army or police force or institutions, either in Germany, Austria, Poland, or other countries under the Nazi boot. So that's quite a remarkable military event. And of course, we in Israel look towards it as part of Holocaust, that we remember the six million who were sent to gas ovens and the crematoria, but they also managed to revolt and resist as much as possible. That message may be a little bit too Jewish a message, or too Israeli a message for some people. And so the United Nations picked the day on which Auschwitz was liberated in late January, if I'm not mistaken, January 21st or thereabouts, as the International Holocaust Day, because, which is true, not only Jews were in Auschwitz or other concentration camps, and so they tried to make it a little bit more of an international uh, marking or recall of that era without or with a little bit less emphasis on the Jewish element. So to keep the focus off the Jewish people, they set up a International Holocaust Remembrance Day. But at the same time, and I mentioned this when I was asking the question, it looks like the United Nations really does not care that much about what happens to the Jews with all the resolutions that they pass against the Jewish state and the activities of the Jewish people. doesn't seem to come out equal, does it? Not at all. Uh, from various institutions and bodies, especially the United Nations uh, Human Rights Council, etc., and, Jimmy, I just want to jump in here. A lot of the criticism directed at uh, Jews or Zionists or those who are not Jews who are Zionists, like people I'm speaking to right now, who have sympathy and understanding and historical re uh, realization of what Jewish people are going to do and are doing, they try to push back on that criticism by saying, we don't mean we're against the state or against even Jews. We're just talking about the policies. Jimmy... You're old enough to remember, as I am, that the United Nations before 1967 was not the best body for Israel to be in with all the uh, issues of uh, then-called Arab refugees and other things. So uh, I don't take stock much in this excuse on their behalf. Talk to me about the children and the responsibility that the parents of these children have in helping them to remember the Holocaust. And in fact, even those who go into the Israeli Defense Force, don't the children from their school rooms go to the Holocaust Museum there in Jerusalem and the Israeli Defense Force soldiers spend time there so they can remember uh, from what they come? You're correct, Jimmy. First of all, the Israeli army is not only a military force. It is a an educational instrument, especially for new immigrants or Jewish ethnic groups from various portions of the world uh, who perhaps didn't go to university. And so all this is a bit of an, uh, what we call in sociology acculturation, uh, getting everybody together. The United States, I think, used to call it the melting pot phenomenon. But Holocaust recognition and acknowledgement is a very essential part of what Israel is, because many people think that if Israel had been set up, say, in 37, when there was a partition plan, or 1939, instead of a white paper policy, many Jews would have been saved. You asked about children. 
Jimmy, and I think you have been witness to this at the Yad Vashem ceremonies on Holocaust Day in April, that many of the people say, and I have so many children and so many grandchildren, I am a victor over, uh, over Nazism and the Holocaust. So being born of children who are born of survivors, etc., is a very emotional, on the one hand, but very essential element of who we are now in the post-Holocaust, post-establishment of the State of Israel period. I know that there's been the time when the nation of Israel would honor the Holocaust survivors, a number of them each Holocaust Remembrance Day there in April in Israel. But I'm wondering, are there still Holocaust survivors from the actual Holocaust back in World War II still alive today? If I'm not mistaken, in Israel, the number is slightly under or around 200,000. These people, of course, are now in the 80s and into their 90s. There are still, of course, Jews in the United States and other countries, especially England, where the so-called kinder transport youth who managed to get out by railway from Austria or other ways to England. And because uh, I know someone uh, who was literally born uh, just outside a, a concentration camp, so that we're only talking about people in their 70s and 80s even, they wouldn't remember, but they are survivors of the Holocaust in that sense that they were on European soil under the Nazi occupation, and they had to suffer. And when those last survivors pass from the scene, there's going to be a real need for that education process to help everybody remember the Holocaust so they're capable of saying never again. Yes, of course. There's a lot of digitalization, films being made, all sorts of attempts. These are things you don't want to forget. There's a founder of the Hasidic movement called the Baal Shem Tov, and one of his sayings was, redemption is in remembrance. If you lose your memory, if you lose your ability to remember, and I'm not talking about your physical ability, which sometimes happens with amnesia, but I'm talking about simply disregarding it or lessening it in your eyes. You will never be redeemed. Whatever you think redemption is, whether it's a religious redemption, whether it's a social redemption, whether it's a national redemption, you will not have it because you have lost your link to the past. You know, I understand that anti-Semitism is on the rise, and when I talk with Itamar Marcus about the Palestinian people and their desire to keep propagandizing the fact of the Holocaust, denying that it maybe ever existed or that it was a, to the extent that it was, but this is causing that horrific head of anti-Semitism to rise to the surface. Is it possible that anti-Semitism could get so bad there possibly could happen another Holocaust? No, my answer is no on that. In fact, Jimmy, we're talking as on in the other room of my home here. I'm writing an article which I mentioned the fact that in the 1920s and 30s in the United States, there was organized anti-Semitism that reached into the State Department, into various senators and congressmen, which is not the case today. And so, and of course, we have Israel. So we're talking about a different period, but we are talking about threats. 
real and physical. There are people being beaten up in Brooklyn and other places in the United States, not because of what they've done, but because of what they are perceived to be, and that's simply being Jewish, and that shouldn't be. Uh, and uh, I can only hope uh, that eventually good people uh, will come together and uh, not only stop this, but educate the younger generation that it's not nice to draw a swastika on a campus or on a synagogue. These things are they're unchristian, they're immoral, then they don't belong in American tradition. Uh, you and I are talking about America specifically, which has had Jews in the country before independence. And so this type of thing has to stop. Absolutely, Winky. And that is exactly why I wanted to talk with you to remind everybody of this horrific event that took place in World War II. Holocaust Remembrance Day, whether it's in January or April as it is in Israel, is key for our society today. Winky, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again about another subject real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Very interesting report and understanding coming from Winky Madad as it relates to the International Holocaust Remembrance Day that was sponsored by the United Nations. And then, of course, how Israel holds their own day of remembrance of the Holocaust victims as well. Great insight. But right now, I want to go to Itamar Marcus. He heads up a team that monitors the Palestinian media. The Palestinians have a different idea as it relates to the Holocaust, and even their leader, Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, I do believe is a Holocaust denier. We're going to talk with Itamar because he's on top of the Palestinian media. Normally, we catch him in Israel. This time, we catch him someplace in Europe. Itamar, where do we catch you right now? I just arrived in Stockholm, Sweden. We'll be speaking to members of parliament here tomorrow about uh, these exact issues that we're talking about all the time. People take this seriously when they see with their own eyes programming on Palestinian television, when they see how children are being brainwashed to hate, that they're teaching children that Jews are monkeys and pigs, and the Satan. When they see this, they understand that there's a serious problem with the Palestinian Authority. The question is now, what we're hoping is that they'll be taking action, taking international action together with other countries that I've been to, to have the Palestinian Authority stop not only the hatred, but also stop paying salaries to terrorists and other things that they do. You know, just recently, of course, Holocaust, International Holocaust Remembrance Day, I guess the official title is, and the world was reminded about that horrific event that took place in World War II. However, at the same time, as I understand your report that I read on your website, palwatch.org, the Palestinian people, and the media in particular, spreading hatred. In other words, increasing anti-Semitism among the Palestinian people and actually denying the Holocaust. Is that correct, as your report said? Well, not only are they spreading hatred, but the principles of Palestinian Authority hatred, as we see it on Palestinian Authority television, official TV, are the same principles that Hitler used in Nazi Germany to try to generate hatred of the Jews and to try to get the Nazis to kill the Jews. And I'll just give you one example. Just a month ago, 
there was a sermon on official Palestinian Authority television, and the messages by this religious leader on control TV, he said that humanity will never be able to live together with the Jews. He said that the Jews have this terrible evil, they're cursed from God. The evil that the Jews have, he said, is in their genes. It's passed on from generation to generation, can't be fixed, and therefore he ends with saying that the end of time will only happen when Muslims exterminate the Jews, and then he has a prayer, and he says, count them and kill them one by one, don't leave even one. Now, if I wouldn't have told you it was Palestinian, you would have assumed that it was Nazi Germany. The Jews are the enemy of humanity. Count them and kill them one by one. Don't leave even one. But it's not Nazi Germany. It's Palestinian Authority Television, December 2018, just a month ago on Palestinian TV. So the bottom line then, all Jews must be eliminated to save humanity. And that's the philosophy of life that they're propagating there on Palestinian radio and television and the print media as well. Is this effective on the Palestinian people? Are they ready to rise up and follow the direction and kill the Jews? Well, it's not being done in mass, but what we see in Palestinian Authority society, in the Palestinian society, the way they admire and honor those people who did kill Israelis, I fear that the message is coming through. Palestinians who've killed Israeli civilians, men, women, and children, are honored. They name sporting events after them. They name schools after them. Nobody criticizes this. We don't hear any objections to this kind of behavior. Last year, a father of six was murdered by a dry, in a drive-by shooting. Now, when Israel caught and, and killed the, 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 the murderer, Within three weeks, there were already three sporting events named after the murderer. Murderers of Israelis are honored by the Palestinian society, by the Palestinian leadership, by the people. And I think the message, tragically, is getting through. You said just a moment ago that they honor these people that were involved in the Holocaust. For example, would they think that Adolf Hitler is a hero in their minds because of his efforts to wipe out the Jewish people? Well, it's a, it's a very interesting question because the Palestinian Authority themselves, the leadership would be afraid to say that now because they know that the world would not respond favorably. However, what we see is that the teachings to their children are actually passing along this message. We found, for example, there were two Facebook pages of the uh, Palestinian Authority schools where the schools posted pictures of Hitler with, with statements uh, honoring him. Uh, another example of this was, where well, we see the message actually got through to the children, was there was a Palestinian Authority magazine named Zayzifuna, which is funded by the Palestinian Authority. It was a private magazine funded by the Palestinian Authority, and they accepted submissions from children. And a child, this is a couple of years ago, a child wrote that she had a dream she wrote an essay. The essay described her dream, and in her dream she said that she met these heroes from the past. Now, three of them were Muslim heroes. One of them was Saladin, who, who conquered Jerusalem. Uh, another one was a Nobel Prize winner. And then the fourth hero who this girl met when she opened up different doors was Hitler. And then she described her dream where she said she had a conversation with him and said, aren't you the one? killed the Jews. And he said, yes, I killed the Jews because of the 
terrible things they're doing to humanity. I can't remember the precise words, but that was the gist of it. I killed them because of what they're doing to humanity, because the threats they are to humanity. And then Hitler wishes the girl that she would have success and luck, the Palestinians will have luck in dealing with the Jews uh, as well. Now, what was so tragic about that is that teenage Palestinian girl, because of her education, actually thought that Hitler was a hero, because specifically because he killed Jews in the name of humanity. So what we're seeing is the same messages that they're teaching their kids uh, about Hitler, the same messages they're giving to their own people, this is why we have to kill the Jews. And by the way, there was a sermon on Palestinian television, I think about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, where the religious leader said that Allah sent many people to punish the Jews uh, because of their terrible behavior, and one of them was Hitler. He mentioned Hitler by name. He said Hitler, he said the Spanish government, he said the European government, everybody was, was punishing the Jews. Wasn't they, they were actually messengers of Allah. So this is Palestinian authority, literally copying the messaging of Hitler and then admiring him because he killed the Jews. Itamar, at the introduction of this conversation, I mentioned that uh, the Palestinian Authority president, Mahmoud Abbas, was a Holocaust denier. And I understand he got his Ph.D. denying the Holocaust. Is that correct? Yes. He got his Ph.D. in Russia, I guess the Soviet Union at the time. And it was on uh, the... um, it was a book that didn't deny the Holocaust completely. It said that the Jews exaggerated the numbers tremendously. It said that there was cooperation between the Jews and the Zionists in order to kill, or the Zionists and the Nazis in order to kill people, to chase them to to, to Palestine. It's a, it's a hateful-filled book. In recent years, in recent years, he has pretended to have changed his ideology because people have challenged him about this. And again, he's the leader of the Palestinian Authority, he has to pretend to the international community that he has changed his ideology. So he did say that. Um, but like I said, the official Palestinian Authority television um, continues to, to present this message that humanity can't live with the Jews, therefore count them and kill them one by one. And as the world stops to remember the Holocaust on International Holocaust Remembrance Day, that horrific attack on the Jewish people when six million were killed during World War II, the Palestinian and their media are using every way they can to propagate that the Jews are evil, they should be killed. That's motivation to rise up and kill the Jews. That's why Itamar Marcus is traveling in Europe to speak to legislators, to speak to leaders of the countries where he is visiting to give the message out. Itamar, journey's mercies as you travel, and thank you so much for taking a moment to squeeze us in for this interview about the Palestinians and the Holocaust. Always a pleasure to be with you, Jim. We're going to go now to a key region of our world, key to understanding the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word, and we're talking about the European Union. Our broadcast partner, John Rood, lived in Brussels, Belgium, headquarters for the European Union, for a number of years and is on top of all that's going on. And John, let me begin as the connection to the International Holocaust Day, Remembrance Day, 
has something to do with the first item I want to talk to you about. There is a report out that during 2018, there was a record spike in anti-Semitism and these types of attacks in Europe. What can you tell us about that? Well, yes, Jimmy, this is a trend that's been here, and it's not likely to change soon. In France, they had two years of decreasing anti-Semitic incidents, but that's after, you know, a great augmentation. And now that's increased. It was up close to 70%. And uh, it seems that the U.S. Embassy relocation to uh, Tel Aviv has set off a lot of these repercussions, and Iran has been at the top of it. And so the United States, which has been generally immune from much of the anti-Semitism in terms of attacks, is now experiencing things and becoming more like Western Europe, where we see much more police protection and awareness of such incidents. Well, that rise in anti-Semitism, ultimately, as you look at God's prophetic word, will indeed lead to the worst Holocaust ever to happen. That's recorded and foretold in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8, where it says two out of every three Jews will be killed during the tribulation period. More on that when we take a look at the book. Talk to me about Brexit, John. Looks like Prime Minister May will ask the European Union to reopen the Brexit deal, I understand the European Union does not want to reopen it. Is that pretty much on target? The EU has been very adamant, no renegotiations, but they would do possible cosmetic changes. So the UK Parliament is more or less in charge now. She's going back and forth to Brussels and the European leaders trying to find some type of compromise. But the U.K. Parliament has voted to delay a departure now. They have rejected the departure. And so it's as if the no deal is already here. It's a complete deadlock, and it's just the countdown for now. So and new things are coming, coming into the picture. Uh, Gibraltar, of course, we know the Northern Ireland and, and the backstop has been the big issue. Now we have Gibraltar. They have tried to extend several amendments to the agreement, and uh, all of these are basically weak and being rejected. So it looks as if a no deal, in a sense, is already here. Yeah, this is quite a mess. They barely wick that I'm not sure they're going to be able to get out of. Well, I have read a report. I need your input on this, John of the rise of populism in Europe, and just especially ahead of the European elections. Talk to me about that. This always interests me. The way the news has always shown these type of uh, movements, there's lots of speak in Europe. The political spectrum is much, much larger than the United States. But we need to define some terms. Democracy is the government elected by the people, Populism is really the will of the people, so it's initiated by the people to bring changes to the existing government. The European Union is not democratic. It has a great democratic deficit, so it was only a matter of time until populism by that definition would come forward. The European Parliament, very, very limited powers, and so the will of the people They can only express in the European Union system through the European Parliament. It's the only place where people can vote. 
Now that's bringing a great disruption to the entire EU system. Italy, Sweden, Austria, major factors coming up in these parliamentary elections is going to absolutely change the face of Europe. Quite a mix in Europe today, John. Is it the same when you covered uh, the European Union from there in Brussels, or do you see changes that will bring about the prophetic scenario found in the Word of God? Well, we look at the trends, and the way the European Union operates has been very consistent. They, they try very far-fetched ideas. They have far-fetched idealism and they're trying to implement a political union. And so our monitoring and examining what's happening, that hasn't changed because it's always this race towards a political union. They should have gone with a trade group, but now the populism, the countries are are not happy with the lack of democracy, and then we have the issues with the immigration, which is changing the face of Europe. So I would say, Jimmy, that it's the same EU objectives, but they get in crisis modes, and then there's accelerations. We're in one of those times now. It's very interesting. We talk about the political with John, and that's setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. John, thank you for the report. Appreciate it, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure. Thank you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we have one more broadcast partner, David James. We're going to be discussing the new abortion law in New York State. You do not want to miss that conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at what we are calling our temporary studios in Fruitland Park, Florida. We're here just temporarily. We were at the Calvary Baptist Church in Fruitland Park for teaching the prophetic word of God. Had a great time with the friends here who were so eager to study and see what God's plan is for the future. Well, we're headed back home over the weekend, and then we'll go up into North Carolina coming up real soon. More about that when we have next week's program. We'll tell you where we'll be. Looking forward to having an opportunity to meet with you and teach the prophetic Word of God. We have a very interesting conversation coming up with David James. We're going to be talking about that very controversial New York State abortion law. Don't miss any of that conversation. David will be at this broadcast table in a moment as we will delve into all the information we can give you about that horrific law that the New York State Legislature passed and their governor signed into law. It's terrible. May I ask you, after the broadcast is over, to go to my website, prophecytoday.com, When you arrive there, you'll look on the home page on the left-hand column, scroll down, and you'll find our poll question. Would love for you to answer it. Here's the question. World War III has been the subject of many Israeli journalists recently, which included threats of attacks on Israel by Russia, Iran, Hezbollah, and Syria. These are all actors in the prophetic scenario for the last days that is found in the Bible. Could we be living in those days? 
Well, that's the poll question answered. If you will, be thrilled to hear what your reply might be. And while on the website, if you'll go to Joshua Travel, you'll find out about the four or five tours that we're going to have this year. I hope that you can come along and join us on one of them. Find out the dates, all the details you need to know, the itinerary, the cost. It's all on my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James, and we have a weekly conversation which is key for the Christian community to hear what we have to say on a particular issue as they try to make some decisions how they are going to confront this issue in their daily walk with the Lord. I think we have a very important issue this time, New York State's controversial new abortion law. But let me talk to David James first. David, you're in between times there in the Philippines and in Uganda, and with only about two weeks turnaround, so you can be home with the family just a little bit. That's right. I'm able to be home for one weekend, just about get over jet lag, 13 hours difference uh, one way. And then next weekend, I head to Uganda where there'll be eight hours difference. But, you know, it's it's always worth it to get into these key locations to teach these young people, the next generation of Christian leaders and church planters. And we keep doing that until the Lord returns. Yes, absolutely. And we're praying for you as you travel for Journey's Mercies and for the power as you teach these young people. Well, as mentioned in the introduction, New York State's controversial new abortion law has had people talking everywhere this week, in the news, on television and radio, on the social media, and it's something I thought we should discuss. It definitely is. As you noted, it's on the news all the time, even as we're having our discussion right now. It has become one of the hottest topics of recent memory, actually. So on uh, January 22nd, which was the 46th anniversary of the landmark U.S. ruling, uh, Roe versus Wade, that made abortion legal, New York State put their RHA bill into force. The RHA stands for Reproductive Health Act, which is a horrible name for it if there ever was one. It's definitely a misnomer. It's not about health. And I would even say that we could characterize it reasonably as a purely cynical political ploy by the state of New York and its Governor Cuomo, which was designed to preemptively deal with President Trump's appointment of at least a third or maybe even a fourth appointment to the Supreme Court's bench. And I think they're worried about the idea that Roe versus Wade may get overturned if the court swings more conservative, which I find very interesting because just a few years ago, the Supreme Court intervened when the state of Kentucky uh, tried to refuse giving marriage licenses. So it was a state's rights versus federal rights issue. And now this is trying to take it the opposite direction. The liberals trying to have it one way in the one hand and, and then exactly the opposite way on the other as it suits their needs. David, can you give us some basic important information about this law so that everyone can understand what is actually at stake? Well, one of the things that frequently comes up in the abortion discussion is that of late-term abortions, which is anything that is after 24 weeks from the moment of conception. So this New York law makes abortion legal up to the moment of birth. Now, in practical terms, what that means is the woman could have been in labor 
let's say she's been in labor for 24 or a more difficult labor for 48 hours. She's dilated. She's right at the point of giving birth. She could change her mind, and with the consent of her doctor and her choice, she could make the decision to actually kill that baby even while it is in the birth canal. Another major issue is it eliminates any criminal liabilities associated with this. In other words, doctors, nurses, those in attendance, if this baby would die during this procedure, and that would be the point uh, during this whole thing, that there would be no criminal liabilities that would be incurred. In other words, they're free to make their choice. There is nothing to withhold them from a legal standpoint of actually doing whatever they choose to do. Another major issue is that physicians no longer need to be present. This could be simply nurse practitioners, nurses, others who would be involved in the birthing process, perhaps uh, midwives. They could make those decisions. They could take this new life into their own hands and they could decide. They are actually judge, jury, and executioner at that point. And another thing is that it removes protection for babies born alive as having no legal status after they're born. Even though the law doesn't allow for babies who have actually been delivered to be killed, the choice can be made for them to be left unattended. So this is a horrific, horrific law. Understandably, there's been a lot of pushback from pro-life groups because no matter what one's religious beliefs might be, it's hard to describe this as anything but legalized murder. That's exactly right. In fact, one of New York State Assembly persons named Nicole Maliotakis argued before the state legislator with regard to this. She said, we need to be honest with the public and say that this bill does not simply codify Roe versus Wade. What this bill does is expand abortion up to birth and the third trimester. She also argued that removing abortion from the criminal code would mean that if a fetus died as a result of an assault on a woman, there would be no prosecution. Being, In other words, being assaulted and losing your baby is not a woman's choice, as she put it. And then even Cardinal Timothy Dolan, who is the Catholic bishop of uh, the New York Archdiocese, he said this, Our governor and legislative leaders hail this new abortion law as progress. This is not progress. Progress will be achieved when our laws and our culture once again value and respect each unrepeatable gift of human life from the first moment of creation to natural death. Would that not make us truly then the most enlightened and progressive state in the nation? Those are powerful words. They really are powerful words. Well, David, apart from the moral implications, are there not laws that grant legal status to an unborn child who dies in the commission of certain federal crimes? Actually, there are. If you remember back in 2004, there was this murder that took place out in California, and it ended up resulting in what was known as the Unborn Victims of Violence Act of 2004. It was also known as Lacey and Connor's Law, and the reason it was called that is because, if you remember, Scott Peterson, this husband and father, he horrifically murdered his wife, Lacey, who was pregnant. He was actually convicted. Now, this is in California, one of the most progressive states in the Union. Scott Peterson was convicted of a double homicide. Now, you can't be convicted of a a homicide unless the, the one whose life you take is actually a person in the eyes of the law. So that set 
major federal precedents in my view. And I was looking at the National Right to Life's website. There are 30 different states that have homicide laws that recognize unborn victims. Indiana, where I live, is one of them. The Indiana law says that the killing of a fetus in any stage of development is murder, voluntary manslaughter, or involuntary manslaughter. And then thinking about your state of Tennessee, effective July 1st, 2012, Tennessee law includes a human embryo or fetus at any stage of gestation in utero as a victim of such offenses as murder, voluntary manslaughter, vehicular homicide, and reckless homicide. So it actually extends the rights of citizens and the fact that they are humans to the unborn child in utero. So this New York law runs in the face of morality. It also runs in the face of actually set case law that has been established throughout the United States. David, back in August, a former abortion doctor, Dr. Leventino, gave a powerful testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee on late-term abortions. Now, I think every person, no matter where they stand on this issue and the debate, needs to watch and hear. And I think we're going to put it up on our website, prophecytoday.com, making it available. Don't you think that would be an excellent idea from this testimony you've watched and heard? Yes, everybody should go to YouTube and look up Dr. Levitino as he appears before the Judiciary Committee, and he gives a testimony of about five minutes, and he explains in graphic, horrendous detail of what happens during abortion, especially during a late-term abortion. He, he himself had performed over 1,200 abortions. After he got to a certain point, he would no longer do late-term abortions, and now he is eliminated doing abortions altogether. This is a powerful testimony of a man and what it means to take the life of an unborn child or one who is already viable and could live in this world. You know, David, I have to testify that you sent it to me. I watched it. It really made me cry. I was just so emotional after watching this powerful testimony from this doctor. Well, Virginia's governor is also a licensed physician added fuel to the fire this week with some of his radical statements. That's right. This is uh, Virginia Democratic Governor Ralph Northam, and he made the statement, third trimester abortions are done in cases where there may be severe deformities. Uh, There may be a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, if a woman is in labor, I can tell you exactly what would happen. Then he goes on to say this. They would actually allow the woman to give natural birth, The baby would actually be outside the mother's womb on the table. They would make it comfortable. If it died, he said that they would even resuscitate it. And then in that process, uh, they would then, along with the parents and the attending physicians, they would make a decision about what to do. In other words, we're talking about not abortion. We are talking about infanticide that's being uh, advanced by one of the governors of one of the states in the union. Wow. Wow. I don't know where this nation is going. Well, in my opinion, there can be no doubt that this is no less of an abomination to God than when children were actually sacrificed to appease pagan gods in the Old Testament. Would you agree? 
That's right, and we're going down the same path. And at First Kings chapter 11, we read that Solomon erected altars on the hill east of Jerusalem, which would have been the Mount of Olives, where he was involved in the sacrifice and worship of the gods of Ammon and Moab, which is Molech and Chemosh, and child sacrifice was involved with that. We are sacrificing our children to the whims of political expediency and personal choice, the way it's called. We are now advocating for the murder of the the least protected class of our citizens. And this nation will have to pay for that abomination unto God. David, this was a very important conversation that we had to have. When I saw it, when you saw it, we both sent emails, hey, here's our issue for this week. Thank you for doing the research and bringing so much great information to our attention. And uh, have a couple of days of rest and before you take off for Uganda. We'll talk again next week before you go with another issue. Thanks, Jimmy. It's always good to get some time with you. We're going to take a break right now. After the break, I'll open up the Bible. We'll take a look at the book as it relates to the current events that we've been reporting right here on Prophecy Today. Hey, everyone. This is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we brought to my broadcast table broadcast partners that have been able to give us details on current events happening this last week. 
The reports are key for our study of Bible prophecy and understanding the pre-written history of our world, which is prophecy written by the ancient Jewish prophets up to 2,500 years ago. By the way, if you missed any of our interviews with my broadcast partners, let me suggest you go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There we have documented and archived all of the interviews with the partners today. And if you had to miss any of them during the broadcast, you can catch up on that. And do me a favor, tell a friend. We need to get as many people listening to these interviews so that they understand where we are in God's time and the urgency of the moment. Let me just rehearse for you the reports, which included details from our broadcast partners. For example, Ken Timmerman, he covers the geopolitical world for us, and his lead story was Russia wants Israel to speed up the United States exit from Syria. Now, Syria and Russia are both major players in prophecy in the future. Russia is mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 2. They're referred to as Magog. And then in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, the king of the north is what we know today geographically as modern-day Syria. All of these are players. Russia will be the leader of a coalition of nations that endeavor to align themselves to destroy the Jewish state of Israel and Syria will be designated as the first state of that alignment of nations to go into Israel to destroy the Jewish state. We see how Bible prophecy is really coming better into focus than ever before, especially with that report from Ken Timmerman. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update. He's been a journalist in that region of the world for over 30 years, and he knows what's happening. But today he was reporting about the United States intelligence agencies who are warning that Iran could attack Israel very soon. Now, Israel has been making that statement time and time again. Now the United States intel community is making the exact same statement. They said it would not be a nuclear war, but instead a conventional war. Daniel chapter 11 does refer to Iran. They don't refer by name. They refer to Iran, as Daniel says in chapter 11, verse 44, murmurings out of the east. By the way, Iran is called Persia in Ezekiel 38.5, and in fact, that was their name until 1936. And Iran does still speak the Persian language. And so David is talking to us about an attack on Israel, and the United States has even recognized that's a very viable possibility. I discussed on the broadcast the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. I did that with Winky Madad first, and we looked at it from the Jewish perspective. He gave us some valuable history to help us understand how the United Nations brought this special Remembrance Day into existence, but at the same time, how they are continually passing resolutions against the Jewish state of Israel. 
And as you look at that happening, you can recognize that the worst Holocaust yet to come, according to the prophet Zechariah, chapter 13 and verse 8, is going to happen during the seven-year tribulation period, which could begin any moment now. Itamar Marcus, he covers the Palestinian media, the electronic and the print media. We caught him in Stockholm there in Europe, traveling from uh, state capital to state capital to address the legislators on what the Palestinian media is really saying, not what they're propagating to the world. It was a very important report because the Palestinians deny that the Holocaust either ever took place, or then they say that the Jews have exaggerated what happened during the Holocaust. Palestinians also say all evil activity is because of the Jews, and they are working for Satan to make these things happen. What the Palestinian media is doing is motivating the Palestinian people to kill the Jews, which is exactly what the prophet Ezekiel said, chapter 35 and verse 5, they're going to be completely destroyed. I'm talking about the Palestinian people because they kill the Jews. And of course, then verse 10 of chapter 35 of Ezekiel says, after they kill the Jews, they steal their land. John Rood, a longtime journalist in Brussels, Belgium, talked to me about in his report on the European Union, a strike in anti-Semitic attacks in Europe, which is, of course, the lead up to another Holocaust, which we talked about, and that during the tribulation period, remember Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8. And then David James and I had our weekly conversation. We talked about the New York State abortion law. Abortion, let me remind you, is an abomination against God. And I also remind you that life does not begin at conception. It does not begin at birth. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, the Lord said, I chose you, Jeremiah, as a prophet unto the nations, not when you were born, not when you were conceived, but in eternity past in the mind of God. That's key for understanding the beginning of life and why it is murder to kill an unborn child. All of these reports were key to understanding how our world is moving very quickly into the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. We bring these broadcast partners to the table to talk about these events so then you can compare what's happening every day with what God's Word has to say. And when you do that, you'll have to recognize we are at the point of the next event on God's calendar of activities— That's the rapture of the church. And that rapture could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thank you.